Adam from Stan USMNT on Twitter is joining us today. First time on the channel, which is kind of crazy given where you are in the community. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm excited to be here. It's uh, been following you since the FIFA America days, so I'm excited to be on. It's called soccer, and uh, and and talking some talking some of the you know the, the round ball we kick. I'm excited for it. The the throwback to FIFA America. In, oh, yeah. in two or three years, or at the 2026 World Cup, only the OGs will will really the know. Real, yeah, I remember the, the 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 first time I think I like really was aware of your account was the you did like an awesome scally like multi-video breakdown that i loved it was like a tactical video on like how scally was playing like it was the beginning of the scally days too so yeah yeah man i'm I'm excited to get back to the scouting reports a little bit especially during the world cup breaking down the games but i know that's something else that you like to do on twitter i'm always curious what is stopping you from making a youtube account or doing some type of other content because you're your breakdowns are awesome on Twitter, and they're very uh, digestible, like very short, understandable. What's stopping you? Uh, time, <laughs> really? Yeah, honestly, it's like, like, and I feel like even with the videos that I do, it's like all about the lulls. You know, I'm sure it's like that for all of us who who aren't doing it full time or haven't made it the full time thing yet. Is like, you know, just being able to put put the amount of time in. Three kids. I was coaching a basketball team last year still. So, um, but yeah, it is, it's something I'd like to do. I'd like to go. YouTube allows a little bit of a longer form. And sometimes I feel super constrained by Twitter. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can't go quite as nuanced as I want. Um, but yeah, like it's definitely something that's like on the docket, like starting a YouTube channel. Um, you have to be so consistent with it, though. You know, you guys are so good at just like, like it's, I've never been a big YouTube guy. And I think since I've, started following you and uh, Yank Report and TAC and 11 yet. Like there's all these great content creators now who are doing different things. And it's fun to like go on there and almost like how you know your show's coming out every week on normal TV. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. Like I look at my subscriptions, I'm like, oh, cool, new video. Like, let me watch that. And yeah. they're 10, 15 minutes. But you guys put in a lot of work, man, because I know you're putting multiple out per week. And it's got to be the number one that a lot of you guys are doing your jobs if you're not full time with it. So that's yeah. it. Maybe one day. Uh, I'm with you. I'm not going to go t- too deep on it, but it, it does feel like a full second time job sometimes. And yeah, moving across seas, it was tough to stay cons- consistent and YouTube really punishes you if you don't put out that, that consistent content. So uh, yeah, yeah, thank you for being here because you're going to be a part of that consistent content for this. <laughs> um, it does seem like there's a little bit of a lull after the September window and there's almost like this fan fatigue at the team Uh, i've seen that happen actually even when we've been doing well but especially now after the september window where we really didn't give a lot of hope didn't give a lot of excitement to the fans going into the world cup what do you see as kind of like the difference between the club form of the players and the national team form of the players because the players go right back after the september window some score some assist are starting 11 essentially is producing on the field for their club teams, but not necessarily their national team. Where do you put that at? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Gosh, club form. I do think club form is very different. Like I I think, you know, I, I, I always try and think about my own experience on different teams, you know, and like the dynamic of playing on two different teams at a similar time, right. Is something that 
I think from a, in a basketball world or even soccer world, you have kids who play on like high school teams and club teams, right? In basketball, it's very common to play on your high school team and then like your AAU team, right? Football is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf, and even the best sport in the world, soccer. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Please remember to gamble responsibly. And just try and think back to, you know, when I played, but even like guys that I recruited or guys that I know, and seeing how different some of them were, right? Like I'd go watch a kid we were recruiting on, on their high school team and, you know, good high school team, you know, is probably a little bit lower level than a good club AAU team mm-hmm. because it's, you know, AAU team is going to be made up of a lot of the best players from different high school teams. But the confidence maybe a coach gives a player, right, or the system that they're running with the high school team might just fit the player better, right, or it might be more geared toward them or it might be something they're – you know, just more reps, right? Maybe, you know, they practice more. They're practicing daily for four straight straight months. Whereas maybe with an AU team, you have a couple practices a week. Maybe the coaching's a little bit worse. Maybe you don't fit that system. I mean, there's so many variables, as we know, right, that can impact how well you play with one versus the other. And, um, you know, I think the ultimate example of, like, uh, club form doesn't matter, you know, I think is, is bail, right? Like, through the years, you knew that like Bale could be playing zero minutes, right, with Real Madrid essentially be going through what Pulisic, I think, is going through, where he's like spot minutes, you know, off the bench type guy. But then he could go back to Wales and, you know, you could book him for two goals in a big game. And it's like the ultimate example that you don't need club form to have good national team form, but you have to be a little bit of a different breed mentally because I think for a lot confidence mm-hmm. is going to carry over. So I thought, I, th- I thought going into the window, we saw confidence carry over. I was very shocked going out of the window that like guys all played awesome for that one weekend, but it was great to see. Yeah. And I guess looking at the September window, kind of how we played a lot of talk about the system, a lot of talk about Greg, but let's, let's kind of take like the, the positive note here going into the world cup. What can Greg do at this time to get the most out of this team in the world cup. Yeah. It's a loaded question, right? Because I think anyone who has emotion behind the team, which we, you know, you and I do a lot of people too. It's so hard to watch us perform like that and remain optimistic when there's nothing to really give us optimism for the next two months. You know, it's not like we have, yeah another stretch of game. If you're a club fan, it's like, okay, we lost three straight, but at least like maybe you win a couple or have some results that give you some optimism. We don't get that. And that's what sucks. And that's, what's kind of scary is we, and honestly, the coaches don't either. They don't, they're not going to be with the players. They don't have a chance to turn it around. Right. It's going to really have to be like a a light switch type deal. You know, it's going to have to be like, they get to camp. I think they have maybe 10 days or something like that. Do do, do you know the exact, it's like a week, right? It's about that. Yeah. They have like a week, you know, a little more than a week to like figure out how to get the whole unit to turn a light switch on. Because it, I don't know, like I saw some okay things in the second game. Some okay, some okay moments, 
that I thought if you could produce them in mass, they would lead to goals. But the problem for us is like at times when we're anemic offensively, I don't feel like we're producing enough moments that can mm -hmm. lead to a goal. And that's what I think if you know soccer well, it's not about like one moment leading to one goal. That's kind of luck. You know, if you create one great moment in a game and it leads to a goal, like that's that's you probably very and you win one oh, that's a lucky win. Right. Like yeah. great teams, especially we're watching Champions League this week. Right. And it's like you watch City, you watch Bayern like they're yeah, OK, they're scoring four goals, but they're producing like 25 pretty darn good. Chances, you know, and like not even a shot, but it's like 25 movements, you know, inside their third that you're like, OK, something productive could happen based on that interchange. And, you know, you think back to ours and it's like, you know, the you know, the, the nice little interchange I posted between McKinney and, and, and Pepe and Pulisic. And then there's like a couple like that, but it was like, I don't know, four, five, where it was yeah. like, this is a goal dangerous, you know, action. And if you're only going to produce five, four or five goal dangerous actions, you can expect to not score a lot of games. And so how does our coaching staff get this team to play confidently together and create 15 goal scoring type actions so we can hopefully score two or three goals in certain games? And I know you wanted me, me to be optimistic. I don't. No. What, what do you think, Jake? I mean, uh, is it something you've thought about? Uh, man, I was, I was hoping to get more from you because it, it seemed to me when, when we didn't have a shot on goal against Japan and then came into that game against Saudi Arabia, maybe we created some moments, but they were kind of like the, the step before the moment that you get a goal. And what I mean by that is if you go back to maybe the Mexico game in the Azteca, in World Cup qualifying, yes, we'll, we'll all go back to the Jordan Pifak miss. I think we're all also forgetting Christian Pulisic missed a shot from the six-yard box. Like, those to me are big moments that have high expected goals. And we didn't necessarily even see that, in my mind, in Saudi Arabia. We saw kind of like the pass before that. Uh, but even, I think, the triangle passing that you, you have put out, that was deemed offside or... We got a corner kick out of it. So it's it's things like that that kind of we see, you know, two steps forward in the Azteca and then three steps back in these September windows. So maybe it's not necessarily optimism that I'm trying to take from the September window, but more of like there is still time to change something or potentially for Greg to simplify something. What are your thoughts on that? Like maybe not optimism, but what can actually push us forward? to have more success. Okay. I'll try and be optimistic. So we did actually and you don't have to be <laughs> Greg in, in halftime of the Mexico game. I thought we made, this is the home game. I thought we made a very stark change. I thought it was like super noticeable in the first 10 minutes of the second half. I was like, Oh, we're really not trying to possess as much like a little bit, but you could see very noticeably we were, you know, just playing direct or like, you know, getting rid of it when Mexico is about to put us under. Mm. And then we got into this whole thing that like, I think can be our identity. I'm excited to kind of talk about it more it is like, let's just go, you know, create a, a, a UFC cage match in midfield with guys who that's what they do best. Adams, McKinney, Musa, like, don't get it. Like they're good soccer players. Like they can do other stuff, but man, are they just really hard to, guard and, and handle when you're just like get you know go really aggressively and get the ball that's what you, that's, we're gonna put you in spots to go win 50 50s and second balls 
in cage matches and win them and just be physical. And so I saw him. It was a really drastic shift. And I thought we went from playing, trying to play like the Greg system in the first half, right, and play through and high press. And and honestly, we got lucky that we weren't down one or two zero at half. And then I thought we came out in the second half and just dominated with a little bit of a different style. And it wasn't that drastic. It's not like we weren't possessing at all, but it was definitely a noticeable change. And so to me, that's what we can do. Is if especially if he's going, if he's committed to playing these center backs, right? A lot of talk about the center backs. He's committed to playing these center backs. And I think Turner's forced himself in, in my opinion. I just think we need him. I don't think we have any other reliable shot stopper. And we're yep. going to need stop shots. <laughs> but his one of his weaknesses is you're not going to get a guy who's going to, you know, in a very pretty way, play the ball around the field. So we need to play more direct. And I, that's something that's not an original thought. But we can do that. He can do that. He can get us to do that. You know, it just – he needs to be intentional about it right from the jump of those 10 days. And even if it's not like we're all in, we're only going to play direct, it's like, hey, guys – two different styles here and we're going to shift in game between them. And I'm going to give, we're going to have signals where even mid half, we're going to be able to do it. Cause that's something we haven't seen Greg do a great job of either is like make a mid half yeah. adjustment. It's always halftime adjustments. And to me, it's like, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to try and possess against, um, you know, against Iran. Oh, we didn't expect Iran to press us this much. They're pressing us more. Now what, you know? And in Japan, we didn't see an answer to that question. Now what? It was like, now what? Oh, no. Like, hopefully halftime comes in 30 minutes. Um, yeah, there was no plan B in that but match. I, but you can he's – he's a smart enough coach. He's not a dumb coach. He really isn't. As much as people rag on him, he, he knows the game. He can make tactical adjustments. We've seen him do it. He needs to now look at it and hopefully see that, like, he can't be rigid. You know, and he's got to have and maybe plan B against Wales is something totally different and it's something else. But you said it right. He needs to put the plan B in motion and he needs to work on it for 10 days that we have plan A, plan B and maybe even plan C at times. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you would line up then. Like if you were Greg, you were looking to build maybe a plan B or maybe even a plan A. Is it in your mind that there is like a, a complexity issue? Do we need to simplify how we're playing? Is there a specific way you would try to line up the team, like really start to lean into that warrior mentality in our midfield domination? Like to me, that's kind of where I see our superiority in this group. Maybe not against England, but definitely against Wales and Iran. Our three midfielders, whether it's Musa or someone else, Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney should still be able to get the job done against those teams. So how do you think we should line up? Do you have a preferred formation or a tactical style for this team? Yeah, and I, you know, I think at this point, unfortunately, it's it's going to be hard to make any sort of like start shifts. But I've been on this, I've been on this train for like a year, and um, I've been even more ex extensive together surrounding it. But I really think that our who I think our best identity would be playing um, Atletico Madrid. Diego Simeone soccer. Mm -hmm. I really do. And, I, and it's a really unpopular answer in our community because I think a lot of people want us to be playing the beautiful game and they want, you know, you ask the dream manager question, right? That's like something that floats out yeah. every once in a while. And you see like Pep or Klopp or, and to me, I'm like, Simeone. Like when I look at our pool and like, and I think a lot of people treat this as disrespect, right? But like Atletico had incredible players, incredible players, right? But I think what Simeone knew, and I, I thought he was so smart. I was obsessed with those teams because he's brilliant in that, okay, yeah, we have great players, but we don't have Real Madrid-level players, and we don't have Barcelona-level players. 
and he created an identity and an identity to shift whether or not they, if they were playing a bottom five team in La Liga, it actually shifted a little bit. He didn't give away possession quite as much, right? And he didn't, you know, just sit sit as compact, right? There were different modes of play within the system, but when he was playing Real or he was playing in a you know Champions League semifinal or final, they had an identity that could win against that opponent. And I've always been a proponent, you know, and I, I do a lot of basketball analogy because that's my, my, my former past and background. But I think like the good mid-major teams that make runs in NCAA tournaments, they create identities that can play against Duke, right? You don't yeah. often see teams that like press and play really fast and try and do things that the best team in a mid-major. So, so like when you're a mid-major team, you're like, okay, we're the, we're the most talented team in our league. So let's play this pressing style or a style that can dominate our league. But the problem is you get to the tournament and you go up against Kentucky, that doesn't work. And so you usually see the team that kind of builds the identity, even in league, able to play against Kentucky. Those are the teams that can make a run. And I've always thought we should try and be that mid-major team who, you know, can shift our style in conference, right, in CONCACAF a little bit to dominate some lower-level opponents. But we have an identity that will work against France. Um so I, I, I hope that kind of answers the question. Like yeah. I would definitely play more compact. I would play more old school U.S. soccer. Oh my gosh, shocking, right? Oh, don't say that. But we have talent on the counter now. So like way more talent on the counter and we have way more talent in our possession moments. So I think we'd be way better at it. You know, I think we'd look a lot more like Atletico than we do, you know, the 1994 team. Yeah, I mean, we beat Spain. We took Brazil to the brink playing a 4-4-2 counter. And that's exactly the way that Atletico Madrid plays. What I love about Madrid's teams is that people are scared of them. They, even though they play that way, Simeone and his teams inject fear no matter who they're playing. Anyone who comes up against them knows that they can win that match and, and just bully the other team, no matter the style and the tactics. You mentioned some of the mid-major teams that are coming from college basketball. I know that's a lot of your background as well. If the U.S. men's national team were in college basketball, what team would they be? And does CONCACAF have like a, a conference that comes to mind? Yeah, I did a, I, d- I did a less thought out tweet version of this, just kind of messing around after, uh, you know, there was some kind of back and forth about what kind of, what kind of coach Greg is, who he compares to. So I was trying to like compare the whole situation. I came up with a good one for you today though. I think that I'm going to break all of the, the kind of, uh, all of our, our regions in the world into kind of the sections of college basketball. So high major is UEFA and Commonwealth, right? I think those are kind of the high majors. That's the, the ACC and, you know, Pac-12, Big 12, like all big, high major college football, college basketball. Only two, in my opinion, would fit into kind of – I think that um, uh, Africa, Asia, and CONCACAF would be kind of like different tiers of mid-major. Um but I think those are mid-major, and then only o- the Oceanic region is is the bottom. They're like the low major, in my opinion. I do think we're kind of mid-major, though, our region. You know, it's if you look at the world, there's only six regions, right? So you can't all be high, all be low. Right. I think we're it's in that middle pack. You know, some would argue it's the worst. Some would argue whatever, it's the best. But it's in that pack. I think we're a team like, a, a, you know, you have to be a ca- basketball junkie here, but Wichita State was in the Missouri Valley a couple years ago, and they were made some good runs, and they were really good. Year in, year out, they were good. They had some better years and some worse years. Um, I think we're like that kind of level team. We're like a, a Davidson when they were in the, you know, uh, Southern, uh, the Southern or we're, uh, Wichita State, or there's a lot of examples of that. I don't think we're like a Gonzaga. Gonzaga's consistently challenging with 
you know, Duke and Kentucky. We're not that good, but we're a team that can, you know, be good in our league and kind of make a run every once in a while. And that's why, I don't know if you, if you remember, I put this tweet out. That's why it's like shocking to me. Even if you're going to say we're Wichita state, it's shocking that like Wichita state would never get a head coach who failed as a low major coach, right? Got another, maybe a little bit better low major, mid-major job and was okay. You know, kind of like led that team to top half of the league, but never won it, never went to an NCAA tourney. There's no way like Wichita State or Davidson's going to be like, you know what, let's hire that guy. Never went to the NCAA tournament, never really had serious success, failed with a low major. And that's why the Greg situation is so weird if you like no coaching in other realms. It's like, how does he get that job when you actually look at it? Do you think that the U.S. national team is a stepping stone, or should be, a stepping stone for very promising coaches to make their mark? Or do you think it should be a, a team with a lot of resources that can lure in someone that has that pedigree? Yeah, that's an, yeah. Thinking in, that, in the same analogy, I've never really thought about it like that. But yeah, are we like the place a young up-and-coming coach catapults, or are we the place an older, accomplished coach comes back to I think that the the nature of the national team business makes it the second. Just I feel like the nature of the national team business, you don't get as many up-and-coming coaches going the national team route to try and make their mark. I feel like, you know, think about Jesse Marsh right now. He's not, like, pining after national team jobs. He's really trying to make his mark as a club coach. Um, I I mean, I think if we're going to get a really high-level coach, it's going to be – it's going to be somebody who made their mark and wants to – just have a less strenuous, strenuous lifestyle. You know, people have talked about that a lot. Pep's kind of said that in the past. Um, and just going back to the Simeone thing, right? You said something really that kind of like sparked my like memory of watching those, all these, those great athletic games play is yeah, people were scared of them and people were scared of them specifically because of how physical they were. When I think USMNT players kind of almost like across the board, we have so much physicality. You know, physicality and athleticism, and that's kind of that old cliche. Why do we keep leaning on that? But we have guys who are physical and athletic with soccer skill now, and that's pretty cool. And like, so why not lean into the phys- physicality and being the team that, like, we do not want to play them, man. We can't break them down. They're so dang physical, right, in, in the area. And then those athletical teams had this awesome – I'd have to go back and really watch it, but I remember – they would press and trap in certain spots. It usually wasn't high. It was it almost like I remember them like luring teams in and wide and then like three guys collapsing on them, getting a turnover, up the line to Griezmann, right? And they were off. And like that's the kind of stuff that I could imagine us being really good at because people were like, we should press. We have guys who Aronson and, you know, Adams and all these guys are – there's different ways to press. People have to remember that, right? There's not one way to apply pressure. It's not like high press or die, right? You can be a full – press team in basketball you can be a half court pressure team you can be a situational pressure team in basketball and soccer is the exact same way you could be a team that high press you can do what um what japan did to us which is more of like a mid block springing pressure you could go you know mid to low block right atletico style and spring presses in certain spots and to me that when i think about what we could be at our best it's that and people don't like that because I think people, yeah. there's like an American superiority for a lot of people where they're like, we should be able to play the most I mean, beautiful soccer. That, that's not to say, though, that Atletico Madrid doesn't have 
Griezmann. They haven't spent a hundred million pounds on Jao Felix. Like they have incredible world-class players. They just still think that this specific way of playing will get them the results that they need. Yeah. And against, and I just think Simeone was always thinking long-term. I really do. I think he was thinking, how can I win a Champions League? How can I build a team that can forget finishing second or third in league? Forget making it out of the knockout. How can I actually win this dang thing? And, you know, love him or hate him, Jose Mourinho, who, you know, maybe now I think his style has kind of aged out, but he built teams to win big. And I I want a, a manager, hopefully next cycle, who can build our team to win really big while having some flexibility to also make sure that we, you know, can dominate our region. Yeah, so if I asked you who that dream coach is, is Simeone the one? All right. Yeah, he's always I, been one. Like, I've like said that a couple times. It hasn't really drawn much yeah. reaction, but I'm like, <laughs> I think it's Simeone over Pep. Like, he's the guy that like gets me to the style I want. Um, yeah. Or you know, he's probably the dream, right? But there's got to be, and I, I just don't know that the world well enough to reel off names. But there mm-hmm. have to be guys who are maybe more realistic who can do that for us, right, and get us yeah. to that way. Adam, I feel like there's never been someone better placed to answer the question of who is the LeBron James of soccer? <laughs> That's a really good one. It's not Christian Pulisic, unfortunately. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Pond Stars. Yeah, sorry, guys. It's not CP, unfortunately. The LeBron James of soccer. So, you know, LeBron and Jordan are like the two, two greatest all time. And you know, we could talk, you know, I, if you want to go, it's kind of weird though, right? Because there's no, you could say, you could say from, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that Maradona is Jordan. I'm going to say LeBron is Messi. And I'm going to say that Ronaldo is Kobe. And I'm going to say Pele is like Bill Russell. Not, I'm not going playing style. I'm just going <laughs> yeah. pure era like the greatest from the 60s everybody would say russell mm-hmm. the greatest from the 80s 90s everybody would say jordan i'm gonna say maradona and then the two kind of modern dudes who have kind of duped it out i would say kobe and lebron are probably the two two best players of the modern era most people would say um and then you can argue over who you like best right just like basketball right there's some people mm-hmm. who like mj some people like lebron some people like kobe some people are like oh kobe's my guy um i thought you were gonna say ronaldo was carmelo anthony him and Messi <laughs> came in at the same time, and he just <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're a Messi fan. Yeah. Oh, who who the mellow is is like a really good one. Like <laughs> charisma. Like it's got to be somebody who nice. like somebody who like has like just like you know doesn't win much, but is like flareful, scores some goals. You know, in his prime, everybody loved him. Everyone was just as excited about him as they were Messi, and then after a year, they were like, yeah, not. Not on the same level. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Adam, yeah, bring hey, us home. Hey, do, you, hey, yeah. do you mind if I ask you a question real quick? Yeah, of course. How do you think this World Cup's going to go? So I, I've been saying this a lot, that I really feel like the U.S. could ha- has an equal chance of getting seven points as they do zero. Like, to me, yeah, we can talk all we want about Greg and his system, we can talk all about our form and first club versus national team. I think at the end of the day, there is something to be said about this being one of the youngest teams, not just that the U.S. has ever brought, but ever in a World Cup for any country. 
having basically nobody with World Cup experience unless we bring John Brooks or DeAndre Yedlin, I think that will hurt us. Like we we have leaders on the team, but we don't necessarily have people that can kind of like calm the mindset and bring the environment of like, hey, we've been through this before, or I know what this takes, so like put it on me. I don't think we have anyone like that, not because they can't do it, but just because they they don't have the experience. So I do think there is something to be said about like the volatility of the youth of our team. And if we can get it right against Wales, if we can come out with three points, I really feel like there's there's a confidence that can grow within this group. I think as you know, as much as a coach can do in every sport, soccer is one where 11 players take the field and for 45 minutes it's up to them, whether that's to deploy the coach's tactics or just say, screw it, we're going to play this way because we think this is the best way to get a result. I really feel like it could go either way. <laughs> or we could come out really flat like we did against Japan and Saudi Arabia. I think for me, as bad as those games were, it's really hard to take stock in the the really flat environment that was at both of those games. Like it, There was no pressure on them live, in person. There were very few fans there. There was no kind of environment to amp you up. I think if you've ever, if you've played a sport in any level, you kind of know what that can do for you, for your your adrenaline, your energy levels, your motivation. So yes, the September window was basically as bad as it possibly could have been going into the World Cup. But hopefully I think, you know, the players step onto the field, there's 50 or 60,000 people that are cheering them on or booing them. That can have the same effect. Uh, Greg can do what he can do, but it's also the players on the pitch for 45 minutes at a time. So, yeah, I'm feeling, I I don't want to say optimistic, and I'm not pessimistic either. I'm kind of like lukewarm on this. I'm just happy that we're back at the World Cup, that I have a national team to cheer for, to follow. Like, as much as I truly love the sport, and it was great to watch 2018, it just wasn't the same without the U.S. there. So, yeah, I'm taking two weeks off work. Like, group stages are all set. So yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. Huge though. That gratefulness piece, like we could all very easily forget that four years ago, right? A little more than four now, we were sitting around watching, you know, a great world cup with no games where we got to be nervous and angry and happy and excited, all the great things, right. That happened from yeah. fandom. And like, no matter what happens in this world cup, we get to feel all those again, which is really cool. Versus really pretty empty, you know, emotion. It was a very empty World Cup last time for me. You know, I I enjoyed the games as a fan, but I really, there was no emotion in the whole experience. And, you know, even whether it's 2006 and what I experienced in 2006, which sucked, or 02, 2010, it's, that's all emotion that's just fun to feel, man. And so you're right. Like at the end of the day, no matter what our complaints are or what, like we get to feel it, we get to feel it. And and to be honest, every time we've been down and out this cycle, right? When I say down and out, one or two bad games that have happened in a row, we've figured it out. We've always, we have bounced back. And like, that is my one point of optimism is like, Greg, the team, the guys, when it's looked bad, when it's looked like it's, oh, this is about to, the ship's about to sink and we're about to not qualify. We've always answered with big performances. And so I think we could see that. Yeah. It's just such a tight window. You don't have much time to change anything. 
But it, it's sometimes I feel like it's hard to have that opinion of excitement towards the World Cup because people are going to jump on you to say, oh, if we if we get zero points, like it was your fault because you you're complacent, like you're just happy to be there. But in yeah. a way, like I am just happy to be there, honestly. For Obviously, sure. I want us to do well. I want us to get to the knockout rounds. But like, let let's be happy that we're there. Let's be happy that we have something to watch to have something to look forward to, at least for three games. If you, if you asked any coach, right, of any team, whether it be a professional team or a college team, that's just made up of young players, right? The Oklahoma City Thunder in the early KD days, right? They were just happy to be in the playoffs the first time. Like, there was a the first time they made the playoffs with that group, and it was like, this is fun. And they lost in the first round, you know? like, And then they came back the next year, and I think, like, they – uh, beat the Lakers like the year after the Lakers uh, had, had won the title. And then they came back the next year and made the finals. And so like, there is a progression in sport of like going from being young and talented to elite. And it, it normally doesn't happen overnight. It's not normally like, yeah. Oh, all the 22 year olds lead you to a championship. That is super rare. And so I think people hate, like you said, people hate this, but when you really step back and look big picture, this is really an experiential World Cup for us in a lot of ways. I'm like, yes, I want to make it out of the group. Yes, I'm competitive and I'd love to make a run. But our guys get to experience this. For good, bad, whatever happens, they get to add this into the, into the memory bank and into that bank of experience that every great player has that kind of – they bank all that stuff through years. And then yeah. when they're great, they're great because they've experienced all that and learned from it, you know? Exactly. And, like – we, we missed an entire generation. Like from Michael Bradley and Josie Altador to Christian Pulisic, there is an eight-year gap where there was mixed disc group for a while. Like <laughs> there, there wasn't really anyone to fill that gap. I think if, if we can get these 26 players World Cup experience, if we can have 12 to 15 of them be on the 2026 team, that's an amazing core for us to, to go into the World Cup. And hopefully that just builds on the success of soccer in America we continue to have 10 to 15 players that bring that experience into each world cup. And from there, like there's no telling what will happen, but for now I'm happy to be there. I hope that we get, you know, five to seven points, but knowing this team, knowing this coach, it's very easy that we could maybe bomb out a little bit sooner than we would want to. Anything. That, that's my take. Anything. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. It's like, all, and, and we're or in, like, you've a seen us on our good days. Like we can beat any team in the world. I'm serious about that. Uh, no if we have a good game, but who knows? They're few and far between these days. And we have the defensive discipline, right? And like that is actually the one big positive still out of that window is defending. We were really good. We didn't give up many chances defending. We mm -hmm. gave up chances giving the ball away, you know, but yeah. like, Actually defending, it was hard to break us down still. And that's been a staple under Greg where I think we can really hang our hat, which is kind of nice. Like we are hard to break down, play a style that doesn't give the ball away 30 yards from goal six times, you know, that gives up chances, you know, without yeah. you doing anything for defense. It's completely so. fair. We, we didn't score a lot with Greg, but we didn't give away a lot of goals either. So Adam, take us home. Thank you so much for the conversation. What is your last word? to the people out there if it's called soccer land soccer land very cliche here guys have hope just have hope just maintain some hope don't don't stop being critical 
don't stop fearing it, right? Because I think when you're a fan, that's it, man. You're going to have this mix of fear. And I have it a lot of days and I tweet out things that are fearful and people are like, stop being pessimistic. And I'm like, man, I'm just being honest. This is what I'm feeling today, you know? Like you don't have to stop feeling that. But remember on the other side, there's hope. Because in a one-off event like the World Cup, anything can happen. We've seen that, right? And so we just need our guys to figure out how to get in good form and come in firing. And no matter what the tactics are, if, if you can get 11 guys together, hope is always a lot. Well said. Adam from Stan USMNT, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on It's Called Soccer. Peace.